Welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. I'm Logan Jones, recording here out of Awesome Inc. studio. On my own this evening, Evan's out traveling, so we don't get to have the typical banter and storytelling and goofing off like we know so many of you guys love on these intros. Um, so we'll just kind of get down to business here. We just sat down and recorded an awesome episode with Mo Sloan of Easy Chow. But before we get into that, just want to continue to update you guys on some things that are going on with Middle Tech. You guys have been super supportive of everything we've been doing lately. So I just want to continue to tell you guys what we're working on, spread awareness, and and also just thank you guys for all the support you've shown us. Uh, first thing is going to be our Friday updates that we've been doing. So Evan and I have been getting on Instagram Live at 8 a.m. on Friday mornings and summarizing the past week's tech news. We also get on there and we're interactive with anyone that joins. So if you ever want to hop on and ask us a question about things that are going on, or just interact with us in general. We have a good time with it. It's a lot of fun. It's interactive. So again, that's at 8 a.m. Instagram Live every Friday. Tune in. Uh, have some fun with us. We we really enjoy that stuff. So second is that our second KSR episode is out now. This one's focused on breweries, uh, which is a big thing here in Lexington. So uh, tune into that to find out how COVID-19 has affected your favorite breweries around town. Uh, and then lastly, thanks again for all this momentum you guys have helped us helped us generate here over the past couple of weeks. As I mentioned in the last last week's episode, we've hit record listens for it's going on five weeks in a row now. Um, so we're hoping to continue that momentum, but we know that that's not possible without you guys sharing and liking and subscribing um, and just being a great audience like you guys are. So we just want to continue to be grateful for that and, and humble for that and say thank you honestly, because it's you guys and the motivation that you guys give us to do that through your support that allows us to continue to do this. this. So thank you a lot for that. And uh, please continue to share as that helps us spread the mission of what we're trying to do here with Middle Tech. Um, So to get to Easy Chow, uh, Easy Chow and Most Loan is building a platform that allows restaurants to own the entire experience of online ordering. Uh, So when we typically think of online ordering for restaurants, you think of DoorDash or Uber Eats. Um, But the thing with those platforms is that the restaurants don't own that experience. It's not native within their website. um, So they don't own the experience and the data and everything that's generated there. So most loan is building a platform that allows restaurants to own the entire experience around online ordering. Um, So he's, uh, he's built this platform. Um, And he did this by stepping away from a corporate job, which I think is a really unique perspective. I'm sure there's some of our listeners who are sitting in corporate jobs now who are interested in entrepreneurship and startups and wondering, you know, if they have what it takes to step into the to the startup scene and and be entrepreneurs themselves. And I think this is going to be a great episode for people who who are in that mindset. So Mo is very down to earth, very humble guy and talks about his journey from working in the corporate space at places like Papa John's and Humana to identifying a problem in the market and going out and writing some lines of code and solving it and eventually spinning up an entire company that has now raised a little over a million dollars from it. Um, So this is an awesome episode that I think you guys are going to get a lot of value from. Um, And this is a unique one too, because in the, in the episode, Mo specifically says, if anyone wants to reach out to him, reach out to him. He would love to share his perspective and, and give any advice that he's able to give. Um, so without further ado, we're going to go ahead and get into it. I hope you guys enjoy.
All right, welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. You've got Evan Knowles and Logan Jones here. We are still in the middle of COVID, and one of the major trends during COVID has been the restaurant industry has quickly had to adapt to the new normal, which is people are getting delivery, they're getting takeout, and restaurants are not being able to fill their uh, brick-and-mortar locations with uh, full capacity. And the guest we have on today is playing in that space and providing a ton of value for the restaurant industry. Uh, and so we're happy to be joined by Mo Sloan, the CEO of Easy Chow. Thanks for joining us, man. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, we're excited for the conversation. Uh, before we get into Easy Chow, I'd love to dive into your background, um, understand where you're from, your education, uh, and just kind of your professional background up until you started working on Easy Chow. Sure. Uh, born and raised in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, this is where I called home for my entire uh, life, it seems. Um, I, w- I went to DuPont Manual High School locally. Um, after high school, I went to University of Louisville as a uh, Woodford Porter Scholar. Uh, so I was very proud of that accomplishment. But I didn't focus on school like I should have, and, and I was more concerned about playing video games and, and going to parties and and, and whatnot. So um, I, I um, left U of L, had a child uh, a little bit early as well, and then uh, started focusing on that. Um, I actually went to um, my first real job uh, was with Republic Bank um, as a um, as a computer operator, and uh, that's where I actually got into back into the programming and development side of, and IT side of uh, of everything. Did you say you went to college and? and- while you were there, you were studying computer science. Is that what we had spoken um, about? I was originally a, a pre-med biology major. I always had okay. intention of becoming a doctor, um, but uh, I can't stand the sight of blood. And uh, I just, yeah, me being a doctor probably wouldn't have worked out. And, and so it was just fate, fate um, put me back into computers. I've, um, I've always dabbled in computers. I started programming when I was a little kid. I had a Commodore. Uh, Big 20, Commodore 64, 128, all those kind of things. And actually, a uh, fun fact that most people don't know about me is I actually ran a bulletin board system, what um, was called a BBS in the days way before the internet uh, in the late 80s and everything. And, and um, it was a part-time bulletin board system. My mom uh, would let me take over the phone line and then um, I would host people and everything. So yeah, I was kind of a little nerd. So I'm actually, I'm not familiar with the Bulletin yeah, board system. Why don't you explain that a little bit? <laughs> yeah, we're too young. <laughs> sure, sure. So, so basically, have you ever seen the movie War Games? Uh, I believe I have. It was about oh, man. Um, oh, if you, if you the hacker. No, I was great. We great into this podcast. Is that the one with the young guy? Where, and it's like the nuclear, nuclear war. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yes, yeah, Matt, Matthew Broderick. Yeah, right, okay, right, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. I've right. seen that. I've seen that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like that. Where back in the days before high speed and access, and and you had dial up and. I remember getting a uh, like a 28k baud modem or something, and thought it was the coolest thing ever. So yeah, bulletin board system was a uh, uh, um, was a single user most of the time, depending on how many phone lines you had. So uh, you would basically put a content and you would call in, and then you would play games, post to the message board, post to the boards, and then hang up, and then someone else would call in. So it was it, it was and yeah, and you would that's how you actually get got pirated games and, and did things like that. So that, that's how we did it before the internet. That is wild. Um, so from going from the bank and then you mentioned working at Papa John's too, going to some of these other corporations you worked with before getting into easy chow. 
Yeah, so uh, I left uh, Republic Bank, went to, um, uh, growing up here in Louisville and, and being here my whole adult life, I kind of hit all the different uh, uh, companies to work for um, in Louisville. So I left um, Republic Bank, went to UPS, uh, was a programmer for a little bit, and then left UPS, went to Papa John's and left Papa John's with Humana. Um, and I'm sure you guys probably heard the news last week or was the earliest week, I can't remember Remember now. Days are running together, but uh, Papa John's is leaving, their headquarters is leaving Louisville. I did not hear that. Atlanta. Wow. Huh, interesting. That's I did crazy. not hear that either. What did you, uh, what would you say some of your major takeaways were from working in large corporations like that prior to starting your own business? Yeah, I think it taught me a lot. Um, it, it taught me a lot about uh, what's it like to be a professional. Um, you know, it, you have to learn to play politics, whether it's good politics or bad politics. You know, there's there's way you conduct yourself when you work for uh, large corporate entities uh, if you want to advance. And there's also a lot of good things you can take away, especially from the development side. Um, corp- corporations such as Humana, Papa John's, EPS, Republic Bank, they have access to resources. Uh, and so those access to resources, it's important that you um, that you expand your skill set, especially early in your career, working for a lot of uh, large corporations, uh, you might have the opportunity, or hopefully you have the opportunity uh, to put you on some projects which have high exposure, high visibility, as well as are important projects. And, and those are good things as a young uh, developer uh, to, to work on, to, to, to cut your teeth and, and learn from. Yeah, really high stakes, high stakes projects, I'm sure, that are affecting a lot of, a lot of customers. Yeah, yeah, it, it can be. Uh, some of it can be not as much either, but the the the, the, per, the point is that usually it's a project that has some purpose and some meaning. Yeah. And even if you if, if you get what you get out, what you put in. So yeah. if you if you put forth your best effort, if you try to if you if you try to uh, take something away from a knowledge base that you know they're they're paying you and they're and they're in the companies goal is to extract value from you but on the flip side uh, I didn't realize this you know I was doing this but I didn't realize what I was doing I was trying to extract value from them and prepare myself for my future career and as an entrepreneur that has served me well um, extracting value from the companies I work for so that's a perfect segue into you starting easy chow Uh, so talk about that transition from when you decided uh, it was time to step away and, and start your own thing and uh, maybe talk about the first few steps that you took to starting Easy Chow as well. Sure. So um, it was, um, uh, let's see, about 2015 is when, I, 2013 is when I switched from Humana, from Papa John's to Humana. Um, I quickly realized um, I, it wasn't a great long-term fit. Um, I was content. It was a well-paying job. It was their security, but it, just, it, left, it left me feeling I was missing something. Um, and I was still relatively young. I guess I'm still relatively young, depending on, <laughs> depending on how you look at it. But you know, I was in my mid thirties, and um, I, I just like this. I'm missing something. I don't know what it is. Um, I had two kids uh, right around um, at that time, so I started really thinking about my legacy more so than I did with my oldest child, who's now in his twenties, uh, because I was younger. I was a younger dad then. Uh, but I started thinking about my legacy, and it became obvious to me that it wasn't it's not a knock with man or anything like this i think i would have i would have experienced that in any 
a Fortune 500 company that I worked for, if I was to do so. Um, but I, I realized there was a glass ceiling, and could I break through? Possibly. Did I have this? Did I have the um, political ability to break through? Maybe not. So um, I could either, you know, I looked at a couple different options. I could go back to school and get a um, an MBA. I, I could, because um, I ended up graduating from Sullivan, at, you know, after a while there um, in business with a degree in business administration. But I could have went back and got a master's in that. Um, or, you know, I started thinking, well, maybe, maybe the best thing to do is to, uh, if no one's given me the opportunity, is to make the opportunity for myself. And so I started thinking about what skills I had and how I could leverage those skill sets uh, to, to kind of dip my toe into the small business world and, and everything. Uh, at the time, uh, you know, I was interested in doing some contracting work and off hours. Uh, but developers, I couldn't really find too many <laughs> companies or too many people hiring developers at that time, um, second shift, uh, part-time contracting work. So I, so I just kind of started making my own, making up some, uh, started having some ideas and, and, and everything and started looking into the small business space, dealing with salons and, and um, uh, massage places such as Z's and and hairstylists and everything, because um, I noticed an opportunity that um, people were still, it was still kind of old, the old school, you call and make an appointment or, or things of that nature. And I was, I was seeing how everything was going on the internet. Um, and if it hasn't already been, it was going there. So I started looking at that space. I quickly realized that I didn't, I didn't know a lot about the business aspect of this. Uh, so, and plus the mark, the market potential um, wasn't as great, at least I thought. So, and so I kind of abandoned that approach. But the good thing was that, that it, it wasn't anything that I, it, was, it wasn't throwaway work. It was um, the lessons that I learned, the strategies that I started developing code and writing code for, I was able to utilize that on what became Easy Child. And the reason, and the <clears throat> way I found Easy Child was um, started in 2015, contacted a local pizzeria here in Louisville by the name of Boombox Pizza like their pizza, they didn't have online ordering, asked them a simple question, why don't you have online ordering? That's when they told me they needed it, they wanted online ordering, but it had to be integrated with the point of sale. And some of the companies they were looking at, they just didn't like the solution and gave me an opportunity. And for, the, for that, I'll be forever grateful. And so I seized that opportunity and started uh, writing code and developing a solution for them. At the same time, making that solution, hopefully scalable for other merchants uh, but it was just kind of a one-off kind of thing that I was just, just doing just to just to see where it went and uh, just to take a chance. Um, and so, but to answer your question, it really prompted me to do it was um, I just, I felt like I can never get reach. I can never reach my full potential working for a, a large company that I had to um, kind of see what I could do on my own and, um, and, and everything. I feel like that that's a common theme for entrepreneurs is being in one of those large companies and just we have that kind of itch to go out and, and do our own thing. Um, but something that kind of caught caught me about that story was you you mentioned doing it for that pizza shop was kind of a one off thing. When did that turn from being a one off thing to thinking this could be scalable? I could turn this into a whole business. And then how did you how did you go about actually making that a scalable business? Um, I I, I, I think um, it became. It became a scalable, or I believed it had the potential to be scalable when 
when people started making introductions to me. Mm-hmm. When I started uh, hearing from people that had no, you know, I'll put up my website, I put up the comp- the product website and I would get hits and people would inquire. And I was like, there's people out here looking for a solution similar to this. And then I would not just get potential um, merchants or merchant partners, AKA customers, but I would get people that, um, that wanted to help sell the product or wanted to help participate or wanted to, you know, be involved. And then it was like, maybe there's something here. So uh, that's when I kind of thought it had a potential to be a scalable business. Yeah. And so now let's talk about what the product is today and exactly what you're selling uh, and the value prop. Yeah. So the value prop is, well, the product is that we, we um, create a digital customer engagement platform for restaurants and hospitality organizations. Uh, what that means is that we help restaurants pivot and develop their e-commerce channel. So this was important pre-COVID and it's obviously become even more exponentially important post-COVID. Um, our value proposition is to help a restaurant leverage technology by democratizing it so that they can grow their business and, um, and grow their profitability. A restaurant, um, we were seeing signs of this before COVID, but now after COVID, it's just painfully obvious. There's a, there's a shift occurring in a lot of industries um, restaurants are notoriously um, laggards in technology, but um, due to cu- uh, customer demographics, uh, customer behavioral changes, et cetera, um, restaurants either need to embrace technology uh, or they'll, or they'll uh, perish and go extinct. So uh, what, we're, what we're positioning ourselves and the value proposition that we offer our merchants is, hey, we will truly help you leverage this technology to grow your business unlike some predatory companies out there um, that only strictly want to uh, take advantage of the restaurant and, and turn them into a wholesale business. Yeah. Um, you know, I want to dive into a bit. You had alluded to it there and you didn't say any names, but talk about the difference between you building these first party experiences for these restaurants, allowing them to control that experience on their own um, real estate and, Compare that to the brands we all know so well, like DoorDash, Uber Eats, um, and, and and Postmates. You know, what's talk about the difference and and what the what the restaurants are um, seeing there and why they're going with you in in some cases. Yeah, so so and that's a good way. I've never framed it that way, but first party experience. That's a good way to. I'll start using that in our marketing <laughs> materials. So thank you. Um, now the the um, the the benefit and the contrast and and difference between us and like third party uh, marketplaces or aggregators or, or delivery companies, however you want to, however you want to frame them is that we're helping the restaurant engage their customer directly. So the restaurant owns the merchant, I mean, excuse me, the restaurant, uh, the merchant owns the customer. Uh, and, and so we, we, ha- we basically get rid of that process and make it as frictionless as possible. Allow the merchant to transact and do business directly with the customer. Contrast that to marketplaces and what happens is that the marketplace owns a customer because they don't they don't care that you order from A, B, or C restaurant. They just care that you order from one of the restaurants that are on their platform, and and so that puts the uh, merchant at a disadvantage. It makes them uh, become a wholesale business, and, and in addition to that, they lose brand identity, uh, they lose control of the customer experience, all the things that um, that customers associate with their favorite restaurants or or whatnot, uh, they no longer become, they're no longer customers of those restaurants. The, the restaurant is a means to an end. 
and, and um, the marketplace becomes uh, king. So, so what we're trying to do is, is give that power back to the merchant. This is 2020 and, and um, a merchant should be able to um, have their own direct e-commerce platform. We, the way we envision our system, the way we envision us is similar to how Shopify is to retail. That's how we want to be for restaurants and hospitality organizations. Yeah, I love I love that example, um, especially given what Shopify is giving um, the e-commerce space and these you know small retailers. You know, without Shopify, these these some of these small retailers, if they weren't able to pivot to that, uh, would be in really you know way worse shape than they are right now. Um, so that's that's a really good comparison. I like that a lot. Are you seeing? Uh, you'd mentioned Tony Boombas, which is a chain. Um, we can also talk about Joel as I'm sure at some point who's same owner, right? Same, the person that came up with those concepts is, is the same person, right? Right. Tony Palabino came up with, uh, he had boom bars and he started Joella's hot chicken. Uh, he sold, he, um, he sold, he sold Joella's hot chicken to Shelty hospitality a couple years ago and they've grown it from about four or five locations when he sold it to like 16, 17, 18 locations now. Yeah. Uh, so, so it's a pretty fast growing concept. Yeah, I was going to ask if, are you seeing that most of your customers are chains or are you seeing, um, I guess it would be called, you know, just one-off restaurants? What, what What's your customers look like? <clears throat> well, without giving away too much information about our business and everything, we're, we're kind of, it, it runs the gamut. Yeah. So, so um, we have some chains, um, some merchant, some of our merchant partners are franchises and chains. Some of them are just uh, single or, or one-off entities. They may have one or two locations. Um, so, well, we we'll work with the one unit location just as much as a hundred unit location. Now, there's scalability factors, and certain things work out better when you have a larger number of restaurants. But from our perspective, we um, we don't discriminate based upon the number of restaurants you own. So, once you started scaling the business, um, at what point did you start bringing people onto the team? Um, so, the first person I brought on is a co-founder. Her name is Sally Clark. So she uh, she reached out to me. Um, we an introduction was made. Uh, the person, that, um, the gym I go to, um, uh, he was he's an entrepreneur himself and, and dabbles in real estate. And he's like, hey, I, I belong uh, to this mastermind group. You should meet this individual. She's actually selling a product similar to yours. And I was like, yeah, sure. So her name was Sally, and, and we met. And she was selling a non. She was working on the credit card side. And selling a non-integrated solution. So ours, the difference is ours right now is an integrated point of sale integrated solution, while she was originally selling a non-integrated solution. And so um, we talked, and, and and she knew, you know, I kind of taught her more about the business, and we just we just um, hit it off, and she was great, and she's helped, and she's been with us ever since, uh, from a, mostly focusing on sales and customer service. So she was the first person that I, got, I brought on board. And then after that, um, I brought on um, uh, Michael Haynes. Uh, he's now our VP of um, Enterprise Architecture, um, and work. And I knew him from my days at Humana, et cetera. And then uh, started getting some hiring developers and just kind of bootstrapping it and growing, growing it uh, organically. Makes sense. And what about funding? Where are you guys at with with funding? Sure. So um, we raised uh, <clears throat> we raised one a little bit over a million dollars, one million fifteen thousand, as a matter of fact. Um, and we closed on that March 16th. Um, we're actually going out and raising, we're starting a, a new round um, and we're raising an additional $4 million uh, because what the million dollars did for us was give us a fire, but it didn't, um, 
it, it gave us a fire, but now we need to throw gasoline for the fire to really make it grow. So yeah. this next round is critical to our to our growth. I'd love to dig into that a bit more. You So at what point do you look at it and say, okay, we've got a fire? And then at what point do you say, okay, uh, we have a pretty sustainable fire. Uh, now let's get some gasoline. Can you talk about what points you look at the business and say that you're able to say that? Well, unfortunately, I, I think I missed a lot of uh, time um, because I, just just from my inexperience, right? Yeah. I sh- I, if we would have closed around a year earlier, I think it would have been even more helpful than 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 when we did. But n- nonetheless, I, I think um, this summer is when we realized, hey, we need more money. <laughs> To do the things we we need to do, uh, to take advantage of the opportunity, the landscape, we need more money. So uh, it, it's great seeing our MRR, monthly recurring revenue, increase. But at the same time, in order to to maximize those dollars and to to really take advantage of the market opportunity, um, we need to go out and and, and raise more money. I, I don't. If going through this, if I was to if I was to go back to 2015. And still keep the knowledge and experience that I, that I have, without knowing necessarily the outcomes, but just keeping the knowledge and experience that I have, and be able to go back to 2015, I think it would have been a diff, lot different situation. We would have raised money, and at the end of 2015, or you know, a lot more closer to it. Uh, but hindsight's 2020, so you just have to move forward with what you and learn from your mistakes. But uh, I think when seeing the opportunity at hand. And you've got a ch- if you've got a chance, you have to go after it. And, and time is of the essence and you can't. Yeah, and, th- and that opportunity you're talking about is when you start to see the traction, you start seeing people come to you and your customers are happy. Is that the point that you say, okay, we've got a good base of recurring revenue here. We've got happy customers. Let's, at this point, let's, let's start raising more. Yeah, yeah. I think so. You see, you, you, got, you get traction. You got, um, and, and you lose deals, not because of necessarily your product, or, but maybe your ability to service those people. Yeah. So, so that's when you know, like, hey, I'm losing deals just because I'm a smaller guy, not or gal, not because of anything in here or our product or anything, and, or or maybe there are some product deficiencies, but you're aware of that and you need money to to fix those deficiencies. So, um, when you when you when you as soon as you know that it's a viable opportunity, I would tell future entrepreneurs go after it and go after it hard. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, and then you had mentioned it there. You said MRR. And for the audience, it's, you said it, monthly recurring revenue. Um, the alternative to that is, you know, annual, annual recurring revenue. What's your, what's your model? What, how do you bill your customers? Uh, monthly. Um, okay. The annual doesn't really work that well for us uh, because we're, de- you know, we're, we're, we're de- the type of organizations we're dealing with um, are, are usually pay things on a monthly basis. So yeah. ours, ours is monthly recurring revenue. Makes sense. Got it. Okay. Well, I think, you know, I think uh, we've dug into the business enough. We'd love to talk about how COVID's affected you all. Cause obviously there's a tailwind behind a lot of digital services. And we mentioned them earlier. Um, a couple of them, you know, Shopify, um, all the delivery applications, the marketplaces that you had mentioned um, and want to hear how COVID's affected you all. And when we got on the phone and, and learned a bit more about you before getting on this interview, um, you had said you guys were well on your way and providing value for these restaurants, and COVID has accelerated that. Obviously, um, what's been the hardest part uh, of, of COVID for your for your customers and the restaurants you work with, uh, just in general? What's what's been the thing that's really um, hurt them the most? Uncertainty. 
Yeah. Right. Uncertainty, um, quick, dramatic shifts. Uh, <clears throat> April and May was great at the same time, but it was, it was the worst two months of my life because uh, we were um, we weren't prepared for the amount of volume we were seeing. We were, we saw 10x, 15x in volume just in those two months alone. So that that was very stressful. And then um, just not knowing how different, um, excuse me, not knowing how different governments uh, would handle the situation caused stress on our merchant partners, which in turn caused stress, you know, stress on us also. Um, but but those are some of the negatives that occurred. There, there's a lot of positives that occurred from, excuse me, there's a lot of positives that occurred from COVID because it just, um, it really solidified our value proposition and merchants knew that we, we were necessary for the business. It, it, if you look at it, you know, from a restaurant perspective, you obviously need a kitchen, you need, you need food, you need the ability to, to, to refrigerator, you know, you need all those things that come with food preparation. But after that, technology becomes a very important part of it. So um, it, it just made our value proposition stronger. Yeah. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a Joella's regular. I love Joella's. And when, when COVID hit and we weren't able to go there physically, I used your product. And I was very impressed and I really enjoyed it. And I used it several times and I saved my information in there. And so the next time I went and used it, it had my information there. Um, were you guys, you had mentioned you, you weren't ready for this kind of volume that came from COVID. Is that the, is that the $4 million raise that you mentioned that you guys are um, doing in the future? Or how did you deal with that, that volume? What did that look like for you guys? Cause you guys obviously have been able to push through. Uh, how did you guys, you know, get, get through that? period of, of high volume. Yeah, so so um, what, what, worried, what worried us about the increase we saw wasn't necessarily the volume of transactions. Um, we, we, we closed our round on March 16th, which was the very first day of shelter at home orders for across the country from our different states. Um, so we had, we started bringing people on board. We had maybe five or six of us, maybe seven, Eight, but we weren't all full. You know, some of the people weren't full time, and, and so when we when we closed the round, we obviously brought in additional people, and there was a, a ramp up period, uh, especially from a development IT side. So what we were trying to do was um, change a car going down a change the car the tires on a car going down a going down a road 100 miles per hour, right? Uh, so keeping up with our current structure, uh, and then onboarding new merchant partners. AKA customers uh, was a challenge all during this time when we we're trying to ramp up and get and add infrastructure things as we didn't have certain operational back office infrastructure because we'd be a small company. Uh, and, and so, and then adding, you know, developers that weren't familiar with our platform. So those kind of things all presented a challenge uh, just around the same time that we were seeing an increase in sales and an increase in, in, um, in, in, in people looking for our service. Um, so yeah, that 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 was the stressful part of it. Was just um, it, I'm glad it happened, <laughs> but um, if we had closed it maybe six months prior, we might have had we might have been in a little bit better position. And, and instead, we were kind of scrambling for a while there. Cool. And one thing I wanted to learn was you know growing that that quickly and having that kind of volume. 
what kind of toll does it take, you know, on the team, you know, emotionally and the communication wise? And how did you guys tackle that? You know, talk about the team dynamic. Yeah. So um, it takes it. We went from using Slack to Microsoft Teams because we started using uh, Microsoft Office. We, you know, we became a Microsoft shop in that in that regards uh, or some of our internal tools. Uh, so that helped. But it takes a, it takes a big toll. Right. Because um, you're used to doing certain things a certain way. You can no longer do those things a certain way, and, or, and you add more people to the uh, more decision makers. You add more voices to the mix, which is a good thing. It's very important for me to surround myself with people who know much more than about their individual subject matters and disciplines. Uh, I want subject matter experts, basically, uh, and it's very important for me to be surrounded by those uh, individuals. If I'm the, if I feel like I'm the dumbest person in the room, that's a good thing. So, but it takes a lot of. Uh, um, it, it takes a lot of getting used to, and then and then there's a cadence uh, that, and, and you find your rhythm working with people, et cetera. And so there's there's that kind of uh, ramp up time that you have to deal with, which is another part of, you know, don't turn on when you get the money. It's not a spigot. It doesn't happen like that. So you have to kind of build up and and, and um, think wisely and think and and really come up with the strategy and execute on that strategy. And so, part of the problem we were having was that it was difficult having time to come up with a strategy because we were so busy scrambling doing certain things. So I'm sure that that just packed a ton of experience and learning into one uh, pretty tight little window there. So I want to kind of use that to transition to what have been some of your major learnings, uh, starting Easy Challenge, becoming an entrepreneur. Uh, what are a few key things that you'd like to, to share with the audience uh, that you've learned from building Easy Chow? Yeah, know your, know your worth. Right. Um, know your worth, number one. Um, be prepared uh, for the opportunity. Um, listen. L- listen to people. Listen to your trusted advisors. Listen to people that you believe have knowledge that that are experiences that can you can relate to and that you can um, learn from. Uh, be determined. Uh, there's you will not get through this without encountering some bumps, especially if you're a first-time entrepreneur. If you're, might be like riding a bike. I don't know. I've never started a second company. Maybe I'll find out. Maybe I won't. But um, I, I imagine it's a lot like, you know, that, riding a bike and, and, and growing and learning. Um, the, the, the second time becomes easier than the first time. But if you're, especially if you're a first-time entrepreneur, you, you, you need to understand you're going to have setbacks. You're going to make go two steps forward and one step backwards. You just have to fight through it, keep going, and don't let that deter you. But at the same time, be smart and and and, and be try to try to be wise and and take your uh, try to disconnect yourself from your company to a certain extent. Understanding, you know, this company is my baby, I started it, etc. But <clears throat> If, if my baby's ugly, my baby's ugly, right? If I, if, if it needs a haircut and it's teeth brush or teeth brush, I need to brush her teeth. So, uh, so you, you have to be able to take a constructive criticism well and, and, and listen to what people tell you uh, because, you know, they could be, they could be seeing some mistakes that you're making that they made and it's just to help you uh, as grow as an individual. Yeah. Those are just some of the things that I've thought about. Makes sense. And and you said it, you know, starting a business is really hard and it's scary and it takes an emotional toll. Um, what would be some advice you'd give 
uh, first-time entrepreneurs, now that you've uh, gone through some of those those scary moments and heartaches, um, on how to deal with that emotionally. You know, you had mentioned that sometimes you have to remove yourself, you know, identity-wise from your company. But what have you done to kind of ease your mind and, and kind of push through those moments? You said you have to fight, but what does it actually look like in your case? And what kind of advice would you give to push through these scary moments and how to do that? Um, a lot of Jack Daniels for me. No, I'm teasing. Um, uh, <laughs> no, um, you know, just whatever you, you have to have faith, wherever faith comes from, whether it's religious faith, whether it, 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 it's some other type of faith, you just have to, you have to believe in yourself and you have to believe in your mission and you have to, it has to be worthwhile to you. You, you, you got to, uh, is it something in, intestinal fortitude is the best way that I can describe it. Um, it it's, it, it's, I'm going to steal a, a line from, from one of the Rocky five or six movies, right? It's not, it's not about how many, it's not about the punches you can throw. It's about the punches you can take and get up off the mat. And that's really the truth to it, right? It, it's, um, you know, everyone can throw a haymaker and, and, and land something, but can you take a punch and can you pull yourself off the mat, dust yourself off and, and, and keep moving? And if you can do that, and then I think you, you have it, you have a chance. Yeah. Um, I guess one more question I had during this section of learnings before we move on to your experience building a company in Louisville was, you know, part of this podcast is we want to inspire people. We want to provide the audience with major learnings, but we also want to help the audience prevent making mistakes that other people already have. Um, you had mentioned the funding thing earlier. You might have raised money earlier than you guys did. What are maybe some other mistakes that you've made that you would hope um, to pass on and, and not let somebody else make? Yeah, I, 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 th- I think going faster. I, maybe, maybe. I don't know. I'm looking back. I don't know if I could have done this. Um, it, I don't know if I could have done this. Now I could I could do it now because I'm more experienced and know what I'm doing. But leaving Humana sooner probably isn't probably the major mistake I uh, I, I made. Right? If I would have left maybe a year, eighteen months prior, uh, I think I think that would have put me in in a different position right now. Obviously, it would have because I because I've been I left Humana almost it hasn't even been officially a year yet. So. Um, Leaving sooner and and taking those training wheels off and diving into the deep end is something is something that I probably would say is a mistake I uh, I made by not doing it sooner. At the same time, that doesn't I'm not saying to someone, hey, quit your job tomorrow and <laughs> and go build your widget. I'm not I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm just saying there has to be a balance. And I was maybe my age, my 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 family status. Etc. I think put me toward more of the conservative end, where I I probably needed to be a little bit more aggressive. Well, that's that's just staying in your comfort zone, you know. And it's like you only have those big learnings in life when you take a step out of your comfort zone. And sometimes that's really scary. Like if you if you have a family, if you're well established in the job you're currently in, you don't know how things are going to work out when you do step away. Those are all huge risks to take. And you know, being entrepreneurs, that's something you kind of have to get used to. So it sounds like a, a great thing to distill down from that piece of advice is don't be afraid to take a step out of your comfort zone. Don't let it, don't let yourself hold yourself back too long. Right. Right. And, and, I, and yeah, no, that's a very good point. It, it's absolutely a good point is that sometimes you can talk yourself out of situations, mm-hmm. right? You, and, and you, and you don't want to hold you, you don't want to hold yourself back, but at the same time, you, you have to be, you have to be smart, but uh, it, stepping out of your comfort zone 
is something that you would have to be have to do as an entrepreneur. For example, right now, um, it's I'm def there's definitely certain aspects about this business that I'm up, that are out of my comfort zone. Um, and and then you have you just have to be able to um, adapt, uh, modify, improvise. Yeah, I think that's that's such good advice, especially for our listeners. You know, a lot of our audience is people that are interested in entrepreneurship or first time entrepreneurs or might just be, you know, considering it. Uh, they might actually have an idea and they're just waiting to to take that leap. And I think that's good advice that if, if there's a moment in time that you have an idea that you're confident about uh, and, and you can, and you're, given your given living situation, afford to leave your, your current job, you know, maybe you should take that leap. You know, you could always get another job and, and go back. Um, but be smart about it, but don't be afraid to do it. Right. Yeah. You, perfect. You, you'll never, my, my big thing is I don't want to be on my deathbed regretting not making a decision. Yeah. Right. Cause you, I mean, it's cliche, but YOLO, you only live once <laughs> and, um, you, you, you got to take an opportunity, take a risk. Yeah. And, and because you, you otherwise, it's like a, it's, it's like you get stuck into the hamster wheel and the more comfortable uh, you get in corporate America, the more comfortable you get with the six figure salary, upper six figure salary, the more like the, the more it's going handcuffs and you become, and you, and you don't want to give that up obvious, for obvious reasons, but you could be missing uh, the upside uh, by not taking it. So, so, you know, I would tell I think the ideal, looking back, I think the ideal range to, to, to be an entrepreneur um, is 25 to 35. I, I, really, I really do. I think that's a, you might have enough uh, years of experience by then to, to make good decisions, but you're, but, and you're still, you're young enough, energetic enough, and, you, and you're still, you're not averse to taking risk so that you can, that you can make those kind of riskier decisions. Cause it's, it, it's, being an entrepreneur is all about risk. Yeah, makes sense. All right. Uh, with every episode, we always want to try to bring it back home and talk about the community that you know these great entrepreneurs like yourself are, are building companies. Um, you're building your company in Louisville and Southern Indiana. Um, so talk about um, you know your experience building a company here. What what are some things that you've experienced and what support have you gotten from the ecosystem? Oh yeah, the ecosystem has been great. Uh, once I got tapped into it, and once I started making connections and started networking with individuals, it's been great. I, I, I really am saddened by the fact that it's it's hard now. If if you're an entrepreneur and you've got a great idea, it's hard now to connect with people because of just the way things are, right? You've got to go to meetups, you know, virtual meetups, and and, and then meet people that way, and that's all good. But that's not how humans are, are accustomed to interacting. We, especially if you're talking to a VC or angel investor, someone might give you, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars. They don't really do, want to do it just from a couple of Zoom calls. Um, so, so you, so it, that makes it difficult. But uh, the ecosystem has been great. Uh, we we got tapped into a lot of people who have helped us out. I, the list is long, and 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 I'll probably leave, leave several people out, but. For example, Kyle Keeney with Elevate Ventures has been real helpful. Uh, Rochelle Gray with uh, Endeavor. Now she's with Endeavor. Dr. Angelique Johnson. Um, uh, and, of course, I'll be, be remiss if I didn't mention uh, Render Capital and um, um, Access Ventures, TJ uh, Moses and, and Bryce Butler over there, and then Ryan Bridgman. Ryan Bridgman and, and the Bridgman family were our lead investors and have been tremendous and supportive of what we're doing. 
um, excluding the fact that they're in the restaurant business, right? But uh, so, so it's, it's uh, the ecosystem from an angel investor perspective has been wonderful. Um, we, we've, we've got a lot of uh, uh, help uh, in that regards. Uh, Frost, Brown and Todd helped us from a legal perspective. It's just, uh, it's just, it's just been, it's been great. Um, you know, I, I think what I've seen in the last three, four or five years is really the city of Louisville private from a private perspective has been super supportive of startups. Like, you know, story and startup week was like, you know, last year, I guess in, in 2019 and, and, and everything. It's just, this has been great. Um, publicly, the government uh, it hasn't been as great as, as supportive as I, as I think they should, especially with uh, tech startups um, and, and everything. But that's another subject for another day. But yeah, the city of Louisville has been wonderful. Um, Indiana is, is, is where, you know, operating in Southern Indiana is where we've uh, been. And, and, but we see our future base in, in the Southeast part of the country. Got it. What um, we always want to end on, you know, a forward looking statement about what you're building and what gets you excited every morning to wake up and continue what you're doing. Where's Easy Child going next? And where do you see Easy Child going into the, into the future? What do you want Easy Child to become? Right. So we, we want to, um, without giving away too much, we don't, I don't want to give away too much of the secret sauce and, and everything, but um, what we would like to, what I would like to see Easy Child become, or what I think Easy Child will become, um, is a company that combines uh, the, the, the benefits and impactfulness of marketing with the benefits, obviously, of technology. By marrying those two together in a single ecosystem, a single platform, We'll be able to help the restaurant not only take and process and fulfill orders, but we'll also be able to get them additional eyeballs, get them additional customers. And I think that's really the holy grail of what we're trying to achieve is, is, is have a product that not only says, hey, I can eliminate the middleman and allow you to engage and transact with, these, with your customer directly, but I can also bring you more customers. That is, is what the market is missing. And that's what we believe is our opportunity. Awesome. Well, Mo, we really appreciate you joining. Uh, it's been a great conversation and we're excited to see where you go. And I'm sure restaurants are very thankful for what you're doing right now. Uh, so we're, we're excited to speak to you during this time. Yeah, no, I'm, I appreciate the opportunity. It's always good to just to, you know, talk and give, and give my message out to people and hopefully inspire someone. And if anybody's out there listening or, or, or whatnot, please feel free to shoot me uh, an email. Um, I'll be more than happy to you know, talk and, and, and everything. I'm not a coffee drinker, but we can we can chat over orange juice or uh, Jack and Coke maybe later that evening. So, uh, but 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 seriously, yeah, I'm more than happy to help and then reach out to me. I, it is my, <clears throat> to me, it's not about. I want to obviously make it and be successful, but the true measure of success is is not only me making it and being successful, but how many people I can bring. Yeah. And so it's important for me to give back uh, to the community that has helped me so much. And, and I just, you know, pay it forward. <laughs>